episode 105, Overcoming Struggles as a Mental Health Professional on the Social Workers Rise podcast. Hello, my name is Katherine Moore, social worker, mom, coffee lover, and founder of Social Workers Rise, where we inspire social workers to connect, expand their knowledge, and change more lives than they ever thought possible. I'm so excited you found my podcast. We will talk everything social work on every level from micro to macro. We will hear the stories of social workers who are doing big things, learn new skills, and most importantly, give you actionable steps to make a difference today. Let's go. Hello and welcome to another episode of Social Workers Rise. It is your host, Catherine here. So today we are doing something a little bit different. And instead of you hearing me interview someone else, you are going to get the opportunity to hear someone else interview yours truly. And this someone else is Jacob Mining. He is the founder and podcast host of the Behavioral Health Integration Podcast. And his podcast is meant to raise knowledge and awareness of behavioral health field for those planning to enter the field and the professionals that are already in it. The Behavioral Health Integration Podcast really prides itself on discussions and topics on mental health and substance abuse interventions that are being used as a collaborative approach to improving the lives of others. So today you're going to hear us talk about overcoming our own struggles as mental health providers, um, working within toxic environments. We even talk about salaries and the need for more diversity within this field. So if you have ever struggled or maybe you're struggling right now, hopefully this episode will remind you that you are not alone and most importantly, that you do not need to stay there. Your skills are highly valuable and much in demand. So if you are struggling, do not stay there. There are plenty of resources for you. Um, Some of the resources, for one, you can join the Friday resource email list. And that is my email list that I will send to you about social work happenings, resources, tools, workshops, etc. that you can take advantage of. The other services that I offer are career coaching. So if you are feeling stuck and you want to pivot to a different career, especially if that is looking like a medical social work job for you, then definitely let me know. You can send me an email. The links are in my bio and we can talk about if hiring me as a coach is a good fit for you right now. And the other services that I have are uh, courses. So there's the Clinical Essentials for the Future Therapist course and also the Pulsed Basics for Medical Social Workers. So if either one of those courses sounds interesting to you, definitely subscribe to the email list and you will get more information on all of those services sent directly to you. So that is all. We are going to hop right into this interview uh, with Jacob and myself after we hear from our sponsor, the RISE directory. I will add, sorry, (laughs) that if you are struggling in your current position, it's important to be able to talk with your clinical supervisor about it. And if you are in need of a clinical supervisor, definitely check out the RISE directory, especially if you feel like your current clinical supervisor is not being supportive or is not being engaging or receptive to your needs as a supervisee. So with that said, we'll listen to this ad from the Rise Directory and hop right into the interview. This episode is proudly brought to you by the Rise Directory, a national directory of clinical supervisors who are dedicated to helping the next generation of clinical social workers grow in their clinical skills. The link is in the show notes. Check it out and tell every clinical supervisor you know about this directory. Well, Catherine, thank you so much for being on the show today. I really appreciate it. Yes, of course. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, absolutely. 
So you're a social worker. Now, do you, what part of the country do you work out of? I'm in Southern California right now. Well, oh. always have been. <laughs> I'm born I am so jealous of the weather. <laughs> Where are you at? Minnesota. Oh, okay. Oh, you guys are in fall already. Yeah. You oh, yeah. Seasons. Yeah. <laughs> I guess, I mean, I love the fall and spring. It's just when we get to that winter, we're doing our thing and you guys are obviously doing your thing and I'd rather be doing your thing with that temperature, you know? <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I always joke, but it's not really a joke that I would just die if I had to be in snow. Cause I don't know what to do. I, my house would explode. Like the pipes would burst. I, I wouldn't even know the first thing. So much props to you. <laughs> you know, it's funny. If I was trying to help you and, and give you encouragement and say, Oh, don't worry. You'd get used to used to it. Would that even help you at all? No, I would think you're lying. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you're right, because I was born and raised here, so I don't know anything different. Yeah, we have to, we have a snow day. Maybe we'll go to the snow once a year, but it's a trip. Like, we have to drive, you know, like 90 minutes to get to the mountains. Oh, I suppose, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. But it's fun. I like going in and then leaving. <laughs> yeah. So, Catherine, what I, what I normally do to start out is um, I'll ask you, what really motivates you to get into the mental health field? So I have a lot of different experiences that prompted me to get into the mental health field. Primarily, well, there's there's two, I guess, two main ones, right? So one, I went through the system, through the custody when I was a child. And I remember one of the days during the court um, proceedings or custody processes, that a social worker came to my house and they interviewed me and they were just really nice. And I was scared as a kid, you know, I was like, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know if they're going to take me out of my house. Um, I don't want to like move, but they, she was very nice, very kind. And I'm sure I was just, you know, another, you know, just one of her many visits, but for me, it, it made an impression on me like, wow, this person was really nice. And I felt like they really took the time to listen to me and, going through custody hearings and it's all the adults talking back and forth. That was one of the times that someone really sat down and talked to me about what it was that I wanted. And I didn't feel pressured to, you know, I wasn't going to hurt anyone's feelings or anything. So that was really important. And then the other second main incident was when I was 16, uh, my house burned down in a wildfire, one of these crazy California wildfires. Yeah. So super traumatic. And I, we were, you know, we weren't rich. We were, you know, like right on the cusp of low income slash middle class, but, Mm -hmm. you know, definitely not rich. So it was a shock to have all of your belongings just gone and your home just gone. So now poof, you're homeless, no clothes, Uh, you know, teenage girl. I didn't have any nail polish no hair stuff. Like, you know, I, mean, uh, I could relate. Uh, my house burnt down when I was 21. No way. Yeah. I'm sorry to hear that, but it's yeah, not, it's it, not was, it was uh, definitely a traumatic. I mean, everybody's okay. Everybody was safe. That was sure. the biggest thing that they told me. They're like, most important thing. Yeah. It sucks. You, you lost the pictures and everything, but everybody's alive. Yeah. Yeah. So you know how it is, you know how it is yeah. to have everything just, just taken away from you in a day. Mm-hmm. Um, And so after that, just the outpouring of support from my community, from total strangers, and the little things really made a difference in my life as a teenager. It was little things like, like a fancy blanket. Someone gave me my first down comforter blanket and, you know, it was fall, it was cold. So I really appreciated that. And someone gave me a stack of nail polish and I was just so excited because even though I didn't have my own clothes I didn't have my wardrobe. At least I could feel sort of normal, you know, with my nails. And it's just those little things that really made a difference. Um, You know, people would give me money instead of buying me things. So giving me the money or a gift card was empowering to buy what made me feel normal, what gave me a sense of, of being at home and and normalcy again. So um, those two incidences kind of shaped who I was. And I was always a giving person to begin with. Mm -hmm. But after those things happened, I was like, this is what I want to do. I, 
I would love to help total strangers <laughs> in their yeah. worst moments. And, um, and I'm perfectly okay with that. And I've been doing social work since graduated with my BSW in 2009. Okay. And so I've been doing social work a long time. Now, did you always know it was going to be social work or did you think about the other fields of mental health? I had no idea what social work was mm -hmm. until my sophomore year of college when I was forced to decide what to do. And mm -hmm. I was just feeling so lost because I sucked at numbers and business. And, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I went to the career center and I saw the big wall of different, different majors you can choose from. And I saw sociology and I loved my sociology class. And right next to it, thank God, was social work. Okay. And so I looked at the two papers kind of explaining the differences and the sociologists may come for me for, for saying this, <laughs> but, but I chose social work because after reading them, I kind of saw that sociology was the study of people, yep. right? So almost like if you're at an aquarium, you're looking at the fish from the outside and you're studying their behaviors, you're studying their environment and what they're doing. Uh, but social work went a step further and taught you the intervention. So you would actually be getting in your, your scuba gear and getting in the aquarium with those fish and yeah. really like working with them and, and working with them, like solving, helping them to solve their problems, to empower them to, um, to fix, you know, whatever it is that's going on. And that's a very elementary way of putting it, but that's just the analogy that I remember having in my head. It kind of reminds me of the social ecological model, right? Of the different like um, organizations as it comes to like helping someone. So it's like the individual, the family, the community and so forth, right? Yes, yes, exactly. Yeah, so I, I really liked that part that it wasn't just research, but it was actually interventions to help them. Mm -hmm. So... Throughout your career, you obviously had like avenues of the field you specialize in. And I know a couple of big ones were uh, workplace, toxic environment, and then burnout. Could you care to elaborate a little bit on that? Yeah. So I've, I've done a lot of different trainings, and these just seem to be the topics that come up over and yeah. over again, and they have forever been a problem in social work, right? Mm -hmm. And and they're so closely related. So I experienced burnout um, for sure once. And then the second time I, I saw that it was coming, I saw the warning signs that were there. So it didn't happen again. But uh, But my first time, it was really terrible because Burnout is one of those things that really creeps up on you and you don't realize what's happening because you're just trying to get through the day. You're just trying to make ends meet that mm -hmm. before you know it, you're just like ugly crying and like, can't watch a movie. And you're like, what happened to me? I used to love watching movies. And now it stresses me out thinking about sitting somewhere for two hours, not being quote productive. Right. <laughs> what, what is ugly crying? Can you elaborate? Oh my gosh. I, yeah. <laughs> so it's just where you're, uh, you're just bawling, your snot's coming out of your nose. Okay. You can't talk <laughs> oh, yep. like that. <laughs> <laughs> excellent. I mean, not excellent, yeah, it's but not cute. Not cute. <laughs> uh, you know, what's funny with burnout. So you just said like right now you just you get through the day you get through the day. So isn't it more like a, a cycle that you just get used to like, you get content with just this negative like life at work and you're just content with it over and over again. Oh, I was never content. Maybe some people do, but I was never, ever content with it. Uh, you know, some of the, the signs of burnout is that you just don't care. You're just trying to do the minimal possible just to get through the day. Okay. Um, you know, compassion, fatigue, yeah. uh, feeling like you're overworked. I was starting to get in trouble because I was behind on my documentation. Every time I saw a client, I'm thinking about the next client. And because I, I felt so overwhelmed, be, well, I didn't, I felt like I had too much to do. Like there was, 
there was too much on my plate and it wasn't a feeling. It was a fact. There was just too much on my plate and it was impossible to do all of the things I needed that I felt like I needed to do. And, and you get this sense of, or it can be, you know, contributed to by the sense of, I need to be the one to do everything. Yeah. Right. I mean, I don't trust other people to do it for me. It has to be perfect. Um, but you're just spreading yourself so thin, nothing gets done. Nothing is really good. Like my notes were, they sucked, right? They're so short. They were not very good. Um, my visits with people, you know, oh, I would, I would dread if somebody, you know, mentioned that they were suicidal or a possibility of abuse or neglect. Cause that just means, mm. oh my gosh, a whole bunch of work. And I don't have time for that which is really yes, dangerous. Is. You know, I mean, if you're shying away from those questions, people could die. And it's, it's really, it's, it's really serious. And when I experienced it, you know, the moment that I realized I was burnt out is I was washing dishes and it was after dinner at night, one weekday evening. And I was thinking about all of the things that I still had to do. And I was thinking about tomorrow and I felt like, like there was just no possible way I could clean the kitchen, finish the dishes, put my daughter to bed, give her a bath, you know, spend some time with her, finish my notes from today. So I wouldn't get in trouble for tomorrow, prepare for the meeting early in the morning. So I don't make myself look a fool in the meeting. And my husband, he, he could see, you know, a lot of times other people see these signs in us before we do, or before we're ready to acknowledge them. And he could see it and he's, you know, like, honey, why don't you come and watch a movie tonight? And I, oh my gosh, Jacob, I lost it. Because he thinks he's helping you. Yeah. Which I needed to watch a movie. Yeah. (laughs) I needed to relax. Yeah. But yeah. And, uh, and I lost it. I was just crying. I was like, there's no way I'm going to be able to watch a movie tonight. Mm -hmm. And I realized like, Catherine, that's, that's not an appropriate response to an invitation. That reminds me not to get too far off topic, but like when I was like burning out in grad school, Mm-hmm. And I was going through some like academic trauma, whatever situations, and I'm trying to get my thesis done. And my mom sees that I'm burnt out. She's like, oh, like, do you need help with anything? And in the back of my, I didn't say this, but I'm like, what can you help me out with right now? Yeah. I know you're trying to be helpful, but like, and that's my, that was just my frustration. I know she was just trying to be nice, but yep. it's like, I'm working my thesis. You know nothing about this. What makes you think you can help me? Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's what it is with a lot of things is we do feel like we, we can't ask for help sometimes, um, that we have to do it all ourselves. And sometimes it's, sometimes it's true. Sometimes, Mm -hmm. you know, you really do have to write that thesis, but there's other times, like I could have asked my husband to wash the dishes, you know, (laughs) um, I could have asked him to just get takeout for the, you know, so, um, you know, there's ways to ask for help, but Sometimes when we're just used to doing everything on our own, um, and especially I see this a lot with new grads is that they want to prove themselves in the field. You know, you have your degree, you worked your butt off to get this degree. And now it's like, okay, now is my time to do or die to prove myself that I can do everything. And it's just a lot of times it's just not true. Like part of being a really great social worker is knowing when it's time to ask for help. Mm Mm-hmm. And knowing when your expertise is not the best expertise and we can call in people who are going to be better at doing, you know, whatever it is that, that might need to be done. Can I um, ask you something from before you said when you were getting burnt out that your work wasn't the best or you were minimizing your work, et cetera. Um, Can I challenge that concept and just say, maybe you were overworked. Maybe it was your bosses giving you too much work. So in a sense, it wasn't really your fault. It's a deeper issue we have in our field. Yeah. A lot of times that is the truth, which was the truth for me the second time around. But the first time it it was me because I was a new mom and I was Mm. trying to balance the being a new mom, a wife, a social worker, um, taking care of my health, which was a struggle in and of itself. Mm Um, but for me, it was, it was me because my work had not changed. It's just that my situation had changed. And then at, 
um, the things that I was doing before became too much for me trying to do everything at once. Yeah. But yeah, you're right. Because when the second time I recognized the signs before it got totally out of control, I was doing a telehealth position during COVID Mm -hmm. and they wanted me to see eight therapy clients a day. Mm -mm. And I mean, by the fourth one, I'm just tapped out. My brain is just fried. And so, I mean, at the end of the day, I would just like cry because I'm just so exhausted and I felt you know, like crap. Cause I know that I'm not doing these people justice, but then it's like, I still had to work. And so that was when I decided, you know, that job just wasn't for me anymore. It's not, I mean, it's not for anybody. Let's just be honest. Like how can any human being do that? And I, I don't mean to go off the railings. I just feel very passionate about this. And it's like, I, I understand how you feel because like people need good therapy. And if you burn out therapists like this, it's not a good thing. And you're only hurting the therapist and the client. Yeah, exactly. It's just infuriating. Yeah. And a lot of the new social workers, the message that they get is this is just how the field is, Mm -mm. right? You just have to get used to it. And it makes you feel like shit. Like, oh, I can't even hang. I can't even hang with what this industry standard is, but the industry standard is not right. Right. It's, It's, it's awful. And I don't even know that people have invested money into research, into seeing how many clients can we realistically see long-term on a daily basis. I would be willing to guess it's three or four a day if we're doing intense therapy. Yeah. I mean, it takes a lot of the therapist too, like hearing the client's stories and then what's it called? Like vicarious trauma that a therapist can go through when working with the clients. Yeah. My God, that's intense. Yeah. I mean, it just takes so much emotional energy to be fully present for four hours a day, even one hour, right? Like if you, you know, if you have a one hour intense conversation with someone who's like, I just like broke up with my boyfriend and I'm heartbroken and, and they cry to you for an hour. I mean, gosh, you're exhausted after that. Like, the drink and it was just one hour but you know we're not I don't know that we as humans are meant to really hold all of that like we're not designed like that right so it takes a lot out of us to do that on a regular basis and you know 40 hours a week I don't know if that's possible I mean do you think and for another point to make when it comes to grad students where like when they're doing doing their internship they need to determine kind of what kind of worker they are what kind of therapist they're going to be from let's say a documentation standpoint client standpoint cuz me personally um I do groups and I'll do one-on-ones every once in a while but I definitely cannot do eight clients a day I would lose my freaking mind I would probably struggle doing four to be honest with you mm-hmm. and that's just who I am as a person. That's like, that's how much, that's my max load. I feel like other therapists out there that could do like six or eight, they could do a lot better job than me. That that's great. They can do that. I need to understand that I can't do that. So I need to try to find a job where it best suits my skills and my talents. Mm -hmm. Yep. That's true. And having that versatility to your job can really help as well. You know, Mm -hmm. how, if you did groups and then if you mixed in individual clients and then other therapists will mix in clinical supervision, maybe they'll do other um, type of advocacy work within their role. So it really helps to mix up the day so that it's not such an emotional toll with just straight therapy. Mm-hmm. And my God too, therapists get out of your office and walk around every once in a while. Don't yes. be in your office eight to 10 hours a day. Walk around, take a break. Yeah, it, it's, it helps to reset the body and your mind when you physically leave that space. And when you move, you move the blood through your body, you move the energy through so that it's not just sitting there stagnant because that'll, oh, it'll take its toll on you physically as well with, mm-hmm. um, with heart problems, with GI problems, all that stress. Um, I've known people to end up in the emergency room, you know, and they had to go on, they were forced to go on medical leave because they just couldn't take the hit. Like the, like you're burnt out. Mm -hmm. Stop, 
stop doing everything. Just take a break. <laughs> take it easy. You, you're, we're not meant to, to work this hard for so long. And, and I don't know about you, Jacob, but that's not what I signed up for. No, when I went to to get my master's, I wanted to have a happy life. I wanted to help people for a living and enjoy my life and be comfortable. And burnout is not comfortable is the opposite. You know, the theme of my podcast is whenever this topic gets brought up, especially when it comes to like money, I hate it. And it grinds my freaking gears when I hear other counselors walk up to me like, we talk about money. Oh, well, you know, we're not for the money. We're here to help. It's like, no, stop that. Every time you say that, you're strengthening that stereotype. Why can't we have good insurance? Why can't we make a good salary and take care of our clients? Why is that so difficult? Because our industry has allowed this to continue for so long. So it's corrupt. It's corrupt. Yeah. When HR and the people with the checkbooks hear this, they're like, oh, well, we can just guilt trip you into paying you less because they don't care. Like they have, they have the money. It is there. But if they don't have to pay us more and if there is someone who will work for less, then why would they pay us? You know, if we're saying this about ourselves, you know, yeah, I hate that saying too. And it's completely detrimental. Wait, isn't that when strikes usually happen in other professions? Yeah. Yeah. But we're not unionized or organized. A lot of some are very small percentage, very small percentage. Yes. I know Kaiser, they recently had some, uh, some strikes going on. Wait a second. What's that company's name? Kaiser. I've heard of them. Oh, the, oh, they're not national. Maybe they're just in California. I, they're, um, yep. Yeah. So Kaiser is a really big hospital system in California. Mm-hmm. I, they might be in other states too. Um, but they are notorious for making you wait like a month or two months for therapy for mental health support, mental health support, even if you're actively suicidal. Uh, however, at the same time, they are also notorious for paying their social workers the best, um, you know, kind of rumor in Southern California, right? But um, so they pay us, they pay them really good. However, the environment and the way that they make their patients wait for mental health support is not ethical. Yep. Yeah. No, it's, I, I'm a podcast nerd, so I'll listen to a lot of therapy podcasts, Um what was this one podcast called? It was like the the something guide for therapists or whatever, and it's like a symbol of a compass. But I think they're from California, and they did a podcast episode about that company and the strikes that they're going on. So that's how I know. Yeah, and you can Google it, like Kaiser strikes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's all over mm-hmm. the place. It happens frequently, unfortunately. But I mean, good for them, you know, fighting for for what they need to and for the patients. I know that cannot be an easy, um, an easy thing to go through. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Now the next Avenue, I know you're really big, um, let's say advocate on toxic workplace environments. Uh, could you care to get into that I, a little bit more? I'm an advocate for anti-toxic. Or anti-toxic I'm sorry. <laughs> we want to eliminate the toxic environments. Correct. Uh, <laughs> No, because I'm so interested in hearing this from you because like I got some stories and maybe you can like help me understand them better. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, I was in a toxic environment and it wasn't even like, quote, you know, that bad, but I mean, it made me cry. Um, Uh It was just, yeah, which I I guess I cry a lot. So I don't know how serious that is, but so I'll tell you the story. It was, um, and I did a podcast on this recently. But um, it was my dream job. I had finally gotten hired as a grant writer. Finally, I was in my master's program Mm -hmm. and I wanted to, I thought I wanted to do macro because I love it. I still do love macro work and I had never done grant writing before. So I was eager to learn. I was like ready, showing up, energized, enthusiastic. Um, And the way that it manifested for me was the lead, it came from the leadership. I worked right under the, uh, the CEO of this nonprofit organization and he was just, um, just not a nice person, like extremely rude, um, demeaning. He would put me down. He would make me feel dumb. And if ever I would ask for help, he'd say, you know, Oh, why do you need help with this? This is just common sense. Just go and do it. And then I would 
you know, of course feel dumb. Say, okay, well, I'll just I think asshole. Do it. The asshole comes to mind so much in my head right now. Yeah. Yeah. And so I was like, okay, well, I'll just go do it and try my best. And of course it's wrong because I was that I'm supposed to guess what he wanted, but mm-hmm. it was wrong and then I get in trouble. But you know, looking back, I don't even think he knew what he wanted. <laughs> he would just, you know, kind of take it out on me. So, you know, a very toxic um personality, I guess, if you will. But a lot of other, you know, some qualities that can make an environment toxic. It's really just it's it can be a lot of things. I mean, if you're overall not feeling safe, right? So I didn't feel safe asking for help. I didn't feel safe going to my boss if there was a problem. Um, I felt intimidated. I felt belittled to the point where um, in my internship, they would give me compliments and my boss would tell me how great I'm doing and, and how she's so proud of me. And it was in my evaluation that she gave me a great evaluation. I started crying because it was so validating Mm -hmm. that I didn't suck (laughs) because every day at work, I just showed up like a failure and that's how I felt. And it, it stuck with me and going home and it made me think like, oh, I can't do this. I can't even do the basic common sense things, which grant writing is not common sense, by the way, but, um, you know, any part of this, we need training in, but it's an environment where you don't feel safe. And that can include a host of different things, you know, sexual harassment, bullying, microaggressions, um, racism, uh, and over, uh, what do you like overworking. So when your workload is just not possible to be done within the eight hours and they make you stay overtime on a regular basis, mm-hmm. that causes you to have poor work life boundaries. Um, if you feel like there's no way that you can advance in your current place and you're kind of just feeling, you know, bitter about it. I think that kind of sums it up. I mean, a lot of different factors and you don't necessarily have to have all the factors, but even one, or if you have more than one, it can greatly increase your chances of, of burnout. Hey, it's Catherine here. I hope you are enjoying this episode. We're going to take a quick break to listen to these ads from our sponsors. If you're planning to take the BBS Law and Ethics exam, the ASWB Master's or Clinical Licensure exam, or if you're studying for the MFT exam, then you need a proven program that can help you understand the exam questions and pass with confidence. If this is you, I highly recommend the Therapist Development Center. I personally use TDC to pass my law and ethics and clinical exams and found the program provided me with everything I needed to pass with confidence. TDC's program integrates various ways of learning in an organized fashion containing all of the information you need to pass without the overwhelm. And now, bonus, TDC is also offering a library of continuing education courses that fulfill your license renewal requirements and will support you in your career development. If this sounds like something that you need, visit their website, therapistdevelopmentcenter.com and use the code SWRISE10 at checkout to receive 10% off any of their CE courses including their brand new course on the edge of life and introduction to suicidality. You can also check out the link in the show notes. Do you love horses, nature, and being outside? Do you dream of having a successful career working with horses and helping humans? Horse Therapy Center of Canada provides certification and professional training to mental health professionals like you who want to launch a business or career in equine-assisted therapy. With three different delivery methods, you can become an equine-assisted therapist in as little as four days. For Social Workers Rise podcast listeners like you, my friend, Horse Therapy Center of Canada is offering you up to $700 off of their certification and training programs. So don't wait. Start your career in equine assisted therapy and learning today, check the show notes for how you can get started. 
Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And the main thing that comes to mind too, like where in grad school, they teach you to say like self-care, like say no. Oh no, that's fine. I didn't even um, realize that was off. No, like so say no. Like if you get too many clients, hey, I'm burnt out, say no. Okay. Well, let's say you do that and then you're shunned or you're treated poorly because you set boundaries and they don't like you anymore and whatever. It's like, you know what I mean? It contradicts each other. Yeah, it's true, which I did that in my job, the one that I knew I was getting burnt out in. And I, because one of my coworkers quit, right? Surprise, surprise. <laughs> and they, they were like, oh, Catherine, you know, we need you to take over her, um, her area. And it's double the, I was like, okay, well, if I'm going to be doubling my workload, does that mean I'm also going to be getting her salary as well? And they're like, oh no, 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 there, there would be no financial increase. And I'm like, I can't do it. Deuces. There is no way. But of course, you know, they never (laughs) pros and cons. They never asked me to do any extra work, which I was grateful for because there was no way I I could, it just wouldn't have been possible. Mm -hmm. Um, But also too, if, I had wanted to stick it out with that company. There is no way they would have looked at me for a promotion because quote, I wasn't being a team player. Right. There you go. That's it. That's it. Or uh, you got to be a company person. They say it's like, screw you. Yeah. Why don't you pay me more? I know that salary has opened up. Exactly. Yeah. Where did it go? Where did it go? Cause I could so relate to what you're saying to right now. Yep. Yep, exactly. So, I mean, you know, it's a business though. They're going to try to get away with as much as they can. And if I would have agreed to take on her workload and if I would have succeeded at it, they might've just never had quote, never have found somebody to that, replace that happens to me. That happens to me. Yeah. <laughs> we'll talk later, but that... yeah. And again, you really, I'm not saying all CEOs and owners of like treatment centers, or whatever are corrupt, but really think like how much extra money are they making and they're not broke. And they I don't know, you just, a what's billion, that? Billions of money in mental health. I, exactly. And it's just like, where do they get off paying us like so, le- like such a low salary? It's just. That's what really makes you think. It's just like, how about, can you afford not to take a little less to give us like a little bit more money? You know? Yep. Yep. But meanwhile, marketers will make you ton, you know, they'll make a good salary. Um, and even I know in the hospital setting, they, they will sometimes group social services under like finances because we save them so much money. Yeah we reduce readmission rates, we keep them ethical. So we're not sued as much as a company. Are, are you I, talking about social workers? or just licensed without therapists. They're, well, okay, I mean, mental health people in general, but yeah. Here's my beef with social workers. Um, not, it's, it's okay now, but like when I was a grad school, uh, graduate student, I'm going the LPCC route. So that's just mental health and addiction co-occurring. And I started looking on this, you know, Indeed sites for jobs. And I'm like, oh, I would love that hospital job. I loved everything about it. I'll scroll down. Only social workers. Only social workers. And like, it says therapist on there. Like, why won't they take me? And then I later learned, well, they could do so much with a social worker that they can't do with you. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, that job looks so cool. And I wanted it, but. Yeah. Which is why I. No throw in shade, Jacob, but I do recommend like a social work degree because exactly what you said, there's a lot more jobs open that you can do with that degree. And you can also do the LPC jobs too, the counseling jobs as well. Right, right. And it's so funny. My supervisor is a social worker too, and I work with social workers and we'll have a little like little tip battles, a little whatever. And I'll just like, well, you know, um, our curriculum is strictly like mental health, right? And you guys are like organizational, like, and again, I don't know like too much about social work, whatever. And that always gets some kind of irritated because again, you're right. It doesn't make you a better therapist depending on what program, like 
you could go to a mental health program and be a horrendous therapist, or you go to a social worker and be great therapist. There's no indicator. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Which is, you know, a good and a bad thing. Right. Oh yeah. God. I mean, it's so fun. There's this um, one audio book called becoming a therapist. I don't know if you ever heard of it. Mm-mm. Um, Just you, you hear horror stories about what therapists like have done to clients before. Oh no. Oh yeah. It, it's, it's ridiculous. And that's actually one of my beefs with um, Minnesota's DHS where you need so much supervision, right. To be a licensed. That pisses me off so much because I think it, it's a money scheme. Yes, do I agree supervision is good? I do to a certain extent. Not as much as they want and not as much money they want for it. Yes, yes. It's a, it's a huge investment. It's a money scheme. It's a money scheme. Yeah. I mean, even just to take the test, I mean, so oh much God. money. Really? You need $300 for me to take a test? Really? And if, you, and if you fail, you have to pay it again, right? Yes, of course. Every single time. Every single time. It's a lot of money. And in grad school. I have six figures in student loans. Yeah. I know and that's then bad, for but... those for those people to have the audacity to say, oh, you shouldn't be asking for more money because <sighs> you're in the mental health field. I mean, no, we have you just look at the numbers. You have student loans to pay off. You have years of money that you have invested yes. into yourself, into your education, and you have value that you can provide, you need to be compensated. I mean, God bless you if you can volunteer your whole life, but that is not my reality. You know, um, I was listening to this one podcast on issues about we need more multicultural counselors in this field. Yes. And it's becoming a theme in our society where not many underprivileged students can actually become a therapist because of how expensive it is to go through grad school, like three, two, three years of grad school, then you got to pay for internship. And then you got to pay at least two years for licensure in some States. That's so much money. Not every person can afford that. Yeah. And what's even worse and more embarrassing is that our social work program, the ASWB, they released their test statistics about the eventual pass rates based on demographics. And Jacob, it's embarrassing. It's awful. It's, it's maddening. I mean, eventual pass rates for white women is in the nineties and eventual pass rates for, uh, black people are gosh, 57%, 67. I have to look up that number, but yeah, it was significantly (sighs) lower and that's eventual. So these, I mean, it's what's going on. Like what's the issue? (laughs) <laughs> that's the that's the grand question yes that's the grand question people is there something evil planned or because i've heard of stuff like this before yeah and the organization themselves they blame just statistical um what do you call it statistically speaking black people don't take tests as well mm-hmm. um which i consider to be a really cop-out you know yeah. response to this uh, because we should be making our tests as equitable as possible. I mean, we are the people who make things equitable. We are the DEI people. I mean, yep. so I I'm, I don't know the full problem, but I know that there does there does need to be changes, and our industry is pissed off. Mm-hmm. I know in the state of Minnesota, we are changing our LPCC format. I think in a month now so i'm just gonna wait till the new format comes out so i really asked you the question all right why are they changing the format oh is it because for 30 years you knew you were doing a crap job with the content and how you apply the questions yeah exactly yeah yeah Yeah. so um you know but i am glad that these conversations are happening finally um you know the tough conversations yeah i had to take 2020 to make it happen Um, But they're finally happening and we do have a long way to go within the mental health industry, you know, both as us professionals and to help our clients. Well, let's be honest. The reason why a lot of us are afraid to ask these questions because we're afraid of the repercussions. Yeah. What if a certain person hears what we're saying? Well, it's like, well, you know, it's the truth though. Yeah. It's the truth. 
And that's the great thing that I love about podcasts is that podcasts are unfiltered, uncensored. We can be real. It's uh, quick, up-to-date information about what's going on in the industry. So thank you for all the work that you do. These, um, these conversations are really important to have, mm-hmm. especially... I mean, for all people, I was going to say, especially as new graduates or as uh, students, but, you know, even people who have been in the industry for so long, it's important to know, like, you don't have to just settle for crap wages anymore. I mean, Mm -hmm. there's help out there. I've, I, I do, I help people with career coaching. You know, we have podcasts that teach you a lot of different skills. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I've, I've made, cause I I've seen the gaps, right? Like I've seen the gaps from in grad school, you're super supported. Everyone is nice. Your professors like know what's up, but then you're out in the field and it's just like, they, it kind of feels like they're kicking you to the curb. Like no more help, like figure it out. I hope your employer is a good employer. Regarding your grad school, maybe not everyone has a great experience in grad school. Oh, I did. I'm sorry. And that's even worse. Oh my gosh. Three quarters of my experience was like the last like semester was absolutely traumatic and horrendous for me. But anyway, that's the story for another day. And but I mean, that's not good. even that's not even considering um, the COVID years. I mean, some people did their whole grad school I, during COVID on Zoom. I, I graduated officially twenty twenty, but it took me like a year to get my thesis done. I'm horrible at grammar and English. That's why it took me so long. Um, so I didn't actually go to class 2020, but, um, that I just finished in that time period. So, yeah. Yeah. And the conversations that I've heard from people in school during these past two years is that they're struggling. They don't feel like they've been really equipped with the knowledge that they need or the skills or the experiences that they need. And that's part of why I had made the courses. Like, so I came out with our course, the clinical essentials for the future therapist, Oh, in 2020 wait was it 2020 I think so um and not even for the pandemic but just in general because I knew that that's what I needed like people a lot of times were not taught how to do a proper assessment how to do proper documentation like if we get summoned to court you want that documentation strong right that was you know. uh that was the root of my academic trauma a little bit uh oh no what happened so, okay, um, I'll, I'll make it as short as sweet because it was, was um, oh dear God. Okay, so it was my last internship. Um, you know, some some teachers are just evil where they're like, I, you think their main goal is just out to get you. And aha, I got you. Well, at the end of my um, my last internship, you have to do 880 hours. I think this semester I had at the time five, 600 hours in. Um, so the semester before, this teacher's been on me about getting my paperwork in on time. And I was a little rusty. Um, I had to get, you know, the supervisor has to like approve your hours and say what type of job you did. There's like four or five like signatures you need. It's a lot, a lot of evaluations. Well, I was a little late on the semester before my internship getting paperwork in. So he was kind of, I think he has more on me this semester. He's like, I'm going to, I, but his mentality was, I'm going to get you. I think mm. I, I could be wrong. So, but I worked my butt off to get everything on time, all the paperwork in for my internship. I was so happy. Um, so I got everything in. Um, then my supervisor, my internship, um, she was on vacation last, the last week. I'm like, all right, yeah, cool. You're on vacation. So then my professor emailed me saying, Hey, I'm missing this one checklist. It was um, the supervisor's grading of you, which I had no issues. Like I would have, I would have gave it to her if she was there, but she was on vacation, and everything yeah. was turned in. All that w- it wasn't even worth any points. So he emailed me, emailed me saying, "Hey, this isn't in." So I checked my teacher. Um, oh, she'll be back that Monday. I'll just get it then. My mistake was I didn't email him saying. Oh, my supervisor's on vacation. I'll just do it when she gets back or whatever. Mm-hmm. So a week goes by. So it was that Sunday. He emailed me and I was at work at my, um, one of my jobs. And he's like, well, I didn't hear from you about that slip or whatever. So you're getting a zero for the class. No credit. What? You're done. You're lost. For one. Yeah. It was just, it wasn't even a homework assignment for my inter- It was just 
their evaluation of me. I got all the other evaluations in. My heart just stopped. Like, because I was just going through some things with like my, like all different avenues of life, like work stress, uh, social life drama, that, that was, I didn't have another 600 hours to give. Like I was burnt out. Right. So then I go back. So I'm pissed off. So I'm like, so I'm being super passive aggressive in the email, not knowing that he CC'd my academic advisor, but I'm like, I was so passive. It was, I was like, all right, fine. So I'll just tell my supervisor at my internship that I'm done. And I got no hours. Great. Thank you. You know? And he's like, well, you know, I didn't get this and that. And, and again, I don't remember everything, but we're just kind of like going back and forth. So he's like, you know, it'll be up to your academic supervisor to change this. So I go to my academic supervisor and I was just like, Hey, I'm so sorry. Is there anything we could do? And um, she's like, well, no, it's it, just do it again next semester. Would you like to go to a different site? I'm like, no, there's nothing no. wrong with the site. There's nothing wrong with the site. That's not the F word in issue. That's not the fucking, it's not the issue. I don't want to do 600 hours, woman. No. She's saying like, oh, you know, maybe, oh, maybe next semester you and your supervisor will do a better job with time management with you. And, oh, and I just like left her office. I'm like, you know, you're right. Obviously, and again, I was super passive. Like, I, I didn't do enough to help myself. And I just walked out like, so I'm distraught. I don't, I don't know what to do because I had to find an, like, I can't accept this. Right. So then I go to um, the director of the facility. And I also go to the academic um, head manager. Like she helps all the students with their paperwork and she's a grammar person. She's like a, the student support lady. She was amazing. I love her to death. Um, but I tell um, her name is Rashida, the director I'm like of the situation. She's like, She's like, you know, Jake, you can appeal that, right? And I'm like, what? Oh my God. Yes. There's light. There's that that yes. was like light. Yeah. The end of the tunnel. Um, and I don't really pissed off because why didn't my academic supervisor tell me this? Yeah. She didn't. Yeah. They're not trying to empower you, that's for sure. And I went to Adler graduate school, so you figure like that's what they should be about, because that's what Adler stood for. Um, anyways, I don't want to keep it too long, but again, um, I appealed and what they did was they gave me my hours back, but, uh, they gave me F for the class. What? So zero credit, but I got the hours and it was the president's decision. So, I, I mean, I was, I was happy that I got my hours cause that was it. That was the main yes. thing. And I think he had to be, take the teacher side too. He couldn't, you know, he had to. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Yeah. But politics. I mean, I'm sorry. If I was a president and I looked at that teacher, I'm like, really? Like, this, this is, no, I really would. I'm like, are you really trying to help this student or what? Yeah. And kicker? Oh a kicker? There's another kicker. I liked that teacher originally. Um, He was going to be my chair for my thesis. He was the chair for my thesis at that time. And the advisor's like, do you think you're going to be able to work with them after all this? And I'm like, I'm going to try to be professional. I'm going to try. But looking back at it, I should have said, no, get me another one. Mm. Which he tried to act. We tried to get along, but we just weren't communicating very well when it started over again. And I ended up getting a new one anyways. Yeah. Um, Oh, my gosh. Sorry, everyone. That was a long story. That was a long side story. Um. But that was my traumatic experience. You don't have to apologize, Jacob. This is your podcast. You can tell all the traumatic stories you want. Well, <laughs> no, because I was actually going to find um, the lady that was the academic, like, help. And I, I'm, I'm butchering the title of this person. But she even said, like, she's there for the students. Mm-hmm. And when I told her my story, she's like, are you freaking kidding me? Absolutely not. She helped me out, get the papers ready. Good. She's like, this is pretty much like this is bullshit. Like she's the social this, worker for the social workers. <laughs> yeah. She was a social worker. She's yeah, she's a doctor in social work. Yeah. Yep. And and she left too because she well, you know what's funny? Even oh so she contacted the professor that did this, 
who's also my chair for my thesis and pretty much said, Hey, you know, should you guys just find different people because you guys aren't communicating? And like, so she, uh, she helped me. Actually, she was the new chairperson. And then literally like three weeks ago, they let her go. Oh no. no again, this is kind of getting towards COVID, but my God, like really like that's fishy. That's so freaking like fishy. And she's like, yeah, you know, cutbacks and this and that. And I'm like, well, would you ever come back if they asked you? She's like, no, I'm not, I would, I wouldn't come back. I don't like where, I don't like what they've been doing here at the university. I don't like what they did to you and yeah. the students. And it just, it's just like really like so. Two weeks after she got me a different person, she gets let go. Yeah, man. Yeah, we have a lot of work to do in our industry. We do. We do. Please, like, tell me more about your podcast before we kind of end things off. You know, what made you want to get into a podcast? Yeah, so my podcast is called Social Workers Rise, and it came uh, right at the beginning of 2020 when I was working at my at the toxic job that I was close to burning out in, but I was like, no, screw this, because I was just so mad and I thought of ways to leave social work. Like what else could I possibly do? But I was like, no, screw that. I am a social worker through and through. Like I love this industry. And I think that these narratives, or I know that these narratives are complete BS that you should just expect to be burnt out and expect to get low wages. And I know that the people that I work with, my fellow mental health professionals, they are the best kind-hearted, empathetic people I've ever met in my life. Mm -hmm. And I know that, you know, there's some not good people out there, but I don't know them, right? (laughs) I don't hang out with them. Those aren't my people. My people are like the good social workers. And, um, and I, I was like, you know, we just need to change this narrative. Like instead of expect to be burnt out, we need to prepare to not get burnt out and know what that looks like. We need to learn how to advocate for higher wages. We're not just going to roll over and take whatever $5 yes. they're going to give us and whatever pizza party they're going to throw for working yes. your tail off. Right. Like, so I'm obviously very passionate about this still. No, <laughs> Two it's years it's later. Great. I'm the same way. <laughs> and it's like, how do we do this? What are the next steps? Do we need to get together as a group? Do we need to go over some politics stuff or legislation? Like, these are all words I know nothing about, but I'm like, what's the next steps? What do we have to do? I mean, people are doing it right now. And part of that action is what you and I are doing is by having these conversations and changing this narrative. So I chose the podcast, honestly, because that was what I knew how to do. I didn't, I'm not a video person like, I'm not on YouTube. I just don't, I just uh, can't with the video, but podcast is just, it's very simple. And I had a lot to talk about and I wanted to amplify the voices of other people doing amazing work as well. And it's been extremely successful. So it's rated among the top 10 worldwide among social work podcasts. We've had, um, we're at over a hundred episodes. We've had really amazing guests on And people have told me that listening to their podcasts got them the, got them the job. It made them more confident in the interview. It opened their eyes to a different perspective, to different Mm -hmm. job opportunities. And because of listening to the podcast, they got out of a toxic situation and that just, I mean, it makes it all worth it. I mean, new, new students, um, they'll say like, I had no idea all of these areas were even an option. Mm-hmm. So yes. I, I really like to highlight the non-traditional work that we do and the conversations that are not happening in grad school. little side note, I don't want to lose this. I love your website about the directory about finding supervision. Yes. We need that, that. It took me over a year to find supervision. Yes. We and need that, is, that for our students. That's a high need because yes. like you said, supervision is so it can be expensive, but there's also people who do it for, for relatively, you know, ex- inexpensive costs, but you need to know your options. Yeah. Right. You need to know your options. You're not going to, um, 
you're not going to just hire, unfortunately, we're just hired, we're forced to hire whoever we can possibly find. But my goal with the directory is that all of the clinical supervisors are on there and that it's the hub that we go to for support around clinical supervision. And we're going to get there. We're spreading the word. Um, It's hard to get the attention of clinical supervisors because they're so busy, but um, but I'm just trying to spread the word and be like, hey, you can join for free. We have um, consultation groups for free that we offer every month. We do ongoing professional development. We've had, you know, tons of trainings just this year. So wow. it's really an amazing resource. That That is so cool. I'll add one more thing. I think grad schools could do a better job at preparing their students for to find supervision and what it's yeah. going to be like and this and that. Sometimes you don't even talk about it. I mean, that those, too, they is, just, which is not good. Yeah, they just assume that your job is going to do it. But a lot of times people don't know what to look for. What do you ask for? You know, if you've come from a bunch of toxic workplaces, you're just going to think that this is the norm, Mm -hmm. right? And that doesn't have to be. There's some amazing, amazing organizations out there. Absolutely. Now, as we wind down, I just have to ask you, um, what are your future goals in the next five years? Like, what do you hope to accomplish as to like additional projects or new projects you're going to be starting? Yeah. So the main one is the Rise Directory. I really want to see that grow and flourish and be a well-known resource uh, for social workers in our community where people are saying like, oh, you need help with clinical supervision, go see the Rise Directory, right? Um, So what we need is just for people to spread the word and tell, tell clinical supervisors within their state that it's a resource and you can join for free. Um, Mm -hmm. It's out there. And so that's the main one. And then offer more resources. I'm um, we're getting approved for CEUs to provide those. So that's going to be a really great way to spread the word about the directory as well. And, but that, you know, that's expensive and it's time consuming. Mm -hmm. So it just, it takes time. And then uh, the other project is I want to expand my offerings through Social Workers Rise. So right now I have two courses, one for medical social workers and the other one for general clinical social workers. And they're both really amazing. But the one for clinical social workers, that is an investment. So it's $200, but it's like eight hours worth of modules on assessing on how to do CBT with a client, how to do proper documentation, safety planning, termination. So it's a massive course. And my other idea, which I'm like in the thought process right now and how I'm going to do it is to have a membership where people it's low cost. It's a monthly fee and I'll add in new trainings every month, but I, I don't want to bite off more than I can chew. So I just have to figure out like, you know, how I'm going to work in that, you know, doing a new training every month, but that's the ultimate goal. That sounds like a great plan. It really does. And I know what you mean by biting off too much. You can chew and everything, but baby steps. And I just, I see what you're doing and I know you're doing great things. I mean, you're already doing great things just for our community. And I, I greatly appreciate it. I really do. Um, Another thing too, if any of my listeners do want to get a hold of you, Catherine, is there a particular website or email address they could use to message you? Sure. You can email me. Um, I'm it's the email address is hello at rise directory and there's rise directory.com. There's socialworkersrise.com, And my main platforms right now are going to be uh, Instagram and LinkedIn. Excellent. And I will make sure I put all that information on the show notes for everyone. So it'll be one click away. Awesome. I look forward to hearing from you. I love, I love it when people reach out and let me know that they're listening. It just, it warms my heart. And it reminds me that we're not just talking to ourselves. Exactly. We're a family. We're one big family. We got to help each other out, you know? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know? Well, again, uh, Catherine, it's been such an honor having you on the show. I greatly appreciate it. Well, you're welcome. Thank you so much for having me here. Um, I'm excited and I loved our conversation today. Thank you so much.
Thank you for joining us on another episode of Social Workers Rise. If you loved it, please open up your iTunes, tap the five stars, and leave a short note on why you love listening to the Social Workers Rise podcast. Also, if you want to share it on social media, I absolutely love it. You have me fangirling all over you. Take a screenshot and share it and tag me at Social Workers Rise on Instagram and Facebook. Lastly, just want to leave a little bit of legal disclosure here that the information, opinions, and recommendations presented in the Social Workers Rise podcast are for general information only, and any reliance on the information provided in this podcast is done so at your own risk. This podcast should not be used in place of professional advice, therapy, or clinical supervision. And with that, my friends, I'll talk to you next week.